morning. It's great to be with you all again. My name is Jesus. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Welcome. If you're visiting especially, welcome this morning. I'm not the normal preacher here at the church. He'll be back next week. And uh, it's a joy to serve you in this capacity today. So open your Bible with me to Galatians chapter 5. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 916. Galatians 5. When you get there, if you'd please stand so that we can read the word together. Galatians 5, verse 16, says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Spirit, we ask you this morning to awaken our eyes and our hearts to your word. May the truth of the the scriptures here uh, embed itself in our hearts. May you be honored in how we listen and how we uh, process what what is spoken here this morning. Lord, speak truth through your word, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. Well, again, good morning. Uh, this morning we're continuing a series that we started last week, which was also part of a continuation of a series we did a few months ago. And so those sermons are on our website, cccclh.org slash sermons. Uh, under the sermon series, it's called He Who Gives Life. And then also Pastor Rick has preached from this book of Galatians in the past as well. So there's a series there from him entitled, Fight for the Gospel. As we begin this morning, I want to just do a brief review. What did we talk about last week? All right, so last week, these were the things that we covered. The first, who is the Spirit? We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit this morning. So who is the Spirit? So uh, we said last week, the Spirit is God. We also said the Spirit is God's personal presence in our lives. All right? So the Spirit is God, and it's God's personal presence in our lives. Uh, What is the flesh? Paul's talking about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. It's our fallen and corrupted human selves, our body, our mind, and our heart. The flesh is who we are without Christ. That's what the flesh is. What is fruit? Uh, In this context, Paul's using fruit as an analogy for the results of the work of the Spirit in your life. If you're a Christian, 
I said this last week, if you're a Christian and you're striving to live a life that honors Christ as your master and king, then you will look like him. You will see the results of the Spirit working in your life, and those results will look like Christ. That is what Paul is talking about when he says fruit. And lastly, we covered last week, what is love? Love is giving for the needs of another without expecting anything in return. That was my definition. Giving for the needs of another without expecting anything in return. I also made this proposal to you. The most important truth that we can cherish in the Christian life is that we are loved by God. That we are loved by God. All right, and I hope to flesh that out, why that's so important a little bit more today. Last thing there, not only are we to understand that we are loved by God, but that love calls us to then love others. If we rightly understand God's love for us, we will then love others. Right at the onset here, I want to just free us of a burden that might be on your mind. We're not going to go through this whole list of character qualities. We're not going to talk about all of the fruit this morning. Uh, I'll explain more here in a minute why, but I, I do hope to, co- to cover a couple more, but only to reinforce the point that I hope to make here first, all right? So uh, we're looking at a list, this list, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and the first observation that I want to make about this list is that it's not exhaustive. These are not all of the fruits of the Spirit that we see in Scripture, all right? Here's another passage from James. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Doesn't that sound like, aren't those good things? Don't we want that? Wisdom from above, right? Similar idea, fruit of the Spirit, wisdom from above. We want these things from God. Well, some of these are on Paul's list, but not others. Why? Why didn't Paul use the same list? His list is not intended to be all-encompassing. He used specific words for the purpose that he was trying to fulfill. His list was not intended to be exhaustive. The second observation that I want to make about this list before we get into the text this morning is, what type of list is Paul using here? What, What type of list is the fruit of the Spirit? What is this? It's a grocery list, right? What purpose does this serve? Well, you need some stuff from the fridge, you make a list. We're lacking food, we're going to go to the grocery store, right? Do the details on the list matter for you to understand how this list works? No. That it is a grocery list conveys something. It says your fridge is empty, you need food, right? Now, yes, if you forget the flour, your your cake's not going to come out great. I get that. But to understand how this grocery list works, we, we understand that. Right? Here's another one. Pros and cons list. What's happening for this person to use this list? What's, what's going on in their life? They're trying to make a decision. Right? How do you know that? Because that's how this list functions. It's a tool to accomplish a task. That's a similar thing is happening here with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is writing a list And the type of list that Paul is writing is called a vice and virtue list. It was a common tool used at this period in this time. And the goal of the vice and virtue list is, as written there, to compare actions and attitudes that are either to be avoided and or practiced. 
And so the question to ask is, what is it that Paul is conveying to these readers by using a vice and virtue list? Right? You know what a grocery list is. You don't know what a vice and virtue list is. They would, have, they would have picked up on that quickly. So what is it that he was trying to convey to them? Galatians is a letter. He's writing. He's making presumably one big argument. What is that argument that he then uses this list to reinforce? All right. So I want to take a, a couple of minutes here and talk about what is he talking about in Galatians? What is this letter? Okay. There's three kind of couplets throughout the book, three major themes in Galatians that I see as I was studying. The first is this pair, Jews and Christians, two sets of people, right? Jews and Christians. The second, law and faith. We're going to go through these and I'll explain them. Law and faith. And the third, works and the spirit. Works and the spirit. All right, so let's go down the left column here. Who were the Jews? Well, God created Adam and Eve. They procreate. People come about, more and more people. And then one day God chooses this pagan guy named Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a promise. And in Genesis 15, God says, look up at the stars. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. God made Abraham a promise, and he said, you will be a great nation. And from that point forward, the descendants of Abraham were considered the people of God. So literally, if you were not related to Abraham somehow, you were outside of the people of God. You were outside of God's grace. Okay? Hundreds of years later, we go from who are the Jews to what is the law. Hundreds of years later, Abraham's people are in captivity. They're in Egypt. They're slaves. And what happens? God sends Charlton Heston to rescue them. <laughs> right? And he says, let my people go. And so they're freed, and Moses is their leader, and he goes up to Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the law. And the thing that we tie the law to is the Ten Commandments. That's what we kind of think about, Exodus 19 and 20. And in this moment in, in the storyline of the Bible, what you could think of the Ten Commandments are like the founding documents for the nation of Israel. These were a people. They already had, I think the estimate was like a million people by the time they, went, they got to Sinai. A million people wandering around in the desert, right? Moses goes up to Sinai. Now these people have a law, have a rule to rule them. Now they're a nation, okay? Now we read the Bible as New Testament believers. We have the whole book. There was one major flaw with this law. You can't keep it. It was too big. There's too many rules. But we understand as New Testament readers, that's how it was meant to be because it was meant to show them their need for a savior. You can't do this on your own. You need someone to save you. So the Jews have the law. And if you're going to participate in the life of being part of the people, the people of God, how do you obey the law? Through your works, through your effort, sacrifices, offerings, ceremonies, celebrations. There's so many rules laid out. This is what obedience to God looks like. And if you weren't good at it, too bad. Get better. Try harder. That's what it was. 
The other side of that line starts with Christian. Who are the Christians? Who are Christians? Christians were people that followed this guy named Jesus, right? Acts tells us they were called little Christs. It was, it was a derogatory term. Look at these little Christs. They followed this guy named Jesus. Most of those initial Christians were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They knew Messiah was coming, and they believed that when Jesus came, he was the Messiah. So they followed him. What does it take to be able to follow Jesus? Scripture tells us that it takes faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his Son, that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How do you then live and participate in the Christian life by living obediently to the Spirit of God? John 16 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. It's not your works. It's not the law. It's not catechism and the sacraments. It's obedience to the life of the Spirit. The Spirit leading you through the truth. There's one more group that doesn't fit neatly on this list, but they're in the book. Those are the Gentiles. The Gentiles are people that didn't believe. So both the Christians and the Jews would have wanted to share their faith with the Gentiles, right? And that's part of what the, what the conflict is here, is how do we witness to these Gentiles? All right, if you look at this map, uh, on the right side of the map is Syria. The top of the map is what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And then right in the middle, there's kind of a cluster of dots there. That region is what was called Galatia. So this letter was not written to one church. It was written to an area of churches. So they would have presumably gotten the letter and then passed it on to another church. And this map is a map of Paul's uh, first missionary journey. You can see that in Acts chapter uh, 13, I believe. But uh, yeah, 13 and 14. But it's just important to realize this letter was not to a particular group of people. It was written to all these different churches. And as you see, Paul went to these different churches at some point, and he taught them the gospel. He shared the truth of Christ with them. This was his life work, was to go and share the gospel to the Gentiles. And so if you go to the beginning of Galatians in chapter 1, he says this in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I was with you. I shared Christ with you, and you're turning away from that. Not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This effort, this time, this energy, and something is drawing these people away from the truth. He goes on in chapter 2, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he ends this chapter with this, this, huge, this huge saying here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not me that keeps me saved. 
It's not my effort. It's not the law. He continues, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Is the message clear? Right? It's not the law, it's faith in Christ. In chapter 3, he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's an interesting word. I like it. Made me think of the old TV show, Bewitched. Wrong bewitching. Uh, The word has this connotation, to cast a spell or to enchant. Uh, It made me think of like in the, The Lord of the Rings, when you see Gollum and he gets the ring and he can't help but to be like fixated and entranced, just almost hypnotized by it, right? Who has bewitched you? Who came to you and told you something that took you away from the truth that you knew? He goes on to make this really elaborate argument, but here it is summed up in one graphic. He says, Abraham was promised salvation. And he was promised salvation because of his faith. Well, it wasn't until after Abraham that the law came. And the law points to how you can be saved as well. They both point to Christ. But the argument that he makes is, which came first? The faith or the law? So why are you trying to be saved, to save yourself, by practicing the law in the way that you are? We, we, as New Testament believers, we look back to the cross. We have this promise of the Spirit. John says this in chapter 14, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Abraham had a promise. We have been given a promise. So Paul is saying something like this. Pastor Rick is really good about giving us these ditches, right? On the one side, you can live your life by obeying the law and put your hope in your obedience. That's one ditch to avoid. On the other side, you can think, hey, there is no law. God's going to forgive me. He's full of grace. I can do whatever I want. He'll forgive. And Paul is saying, it's neither. If you want to live a life that honors Christ, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Here's another way to think about it. Is everybody alive? Have I killed anyone yet? I'm still alive? All right, good. If you're alive, then you have a choice to make. You can walk by the flesh, or you can walk by the Spirit. And if you choose to walk by the flesh, what you will produce in your life is the works of the flesh. And if you choose to walk by the Spirit, what you will produce is the fruit of the Spirit. And in verse 24, he makes this this, uh, caveat here. He says, those who belong to to Christ have crucified the flesh. Oh, by the way, if you belong to Christ, you've crucified your flesh. Therefore, 
Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's the instruction. Implication being, don't live by the flesh. If you have Christ, don't live by the flesh. Live by the Spirit. And so, what is Paul saying that brings us to chapter 5, to this list of the fruit of the Spirit? What is he conveying by using this vice and virtue list? This is my kind of summation. Walking by anything other than the Spirit will pull you away from the truth of the gospel, and it will pull you away from one another. Paul is showing the Galatians that walking in the Spirit is the way you fight against the lies that keep you from believing God's promises. Walking is the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking in the fruit of the Spirit is the way you fight the lies that keep you from believing God's promises. And so, church, I ask you this morning. Is there something or someone who has bewitched you? Is there something or someone who is pulling you away from the truth of the gospel? Are there lies that are drawing you away from believing the promises of God in your life? Let's look at this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What makes you doubt that God really loves you? What keeps you from believing that He loves you? Is it your past? Right? How could He love me? Maybe you look at the circumstances of your life right now. You look around and you say, how could this be happening? If God really loved me, why would this be happening to me? God can't love someone as broken as me. My parents didn't even love me. Why would God love me? Look at this verse from Paul, Romans 8. For I am sure that neither, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What else is there? What else do we have to say? What else does God have to do? You go to the heavens, he's there. You go to the depths, he's there. What else does he have to do to show you that he loves you? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Last week we talked about love. We said, right, the command, love God, love others. What keeps you from loving others? What keeps you from loving others? Maybe it's your own comfort, right? She's too difficult to talk to. I just don't want to have that conversation. Maybe you're just too busy. I hear sports are a thing around here. Is that, is that kids' sports? 
Is that a thing? Maybe we're too busy. Maybe you tell yourself, yeah, I'm just not good at small talk. I'm not good at small talk. I'm just not good at small talk. I'm not really going to reach out. Or maybe you think to yourself, I don't want them to know what I have going on in my own life. Why am I going to go ask them about theirs? I have my own junk. What are the lies here? Someone else is better suited to do that. Not me. Not me. What do I have to offer? Nothing. Here's my favorite one. If, If you've told me this, I apologize in advance, but I'm not a counselor. One of the roles I have here at the church is I'm a pastor of counseling. It's part of what I do. It's like, go ask people, come, help, get involved. I'm not a counselor. What do I have to offer? Brothers and sisters, you have the spirit. You have the word. You have the truth. You have the love received from God that you can share with others. Don't believe the lie that you have nothing to offer. The fruit of the spirit is love. And it will push us toward others. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. What is joy? The dictionary definition I looked up, it says, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Yeah, give me some of that. Pleasure and happiness. Fill up my joy. Well, that's a good start. But the biblical picture of joy is more than just happy. Because it has hope. The biblical picture of joy is that it is rooted in hope. Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. Christian joy has hope, and it comes from the Spirit, and it isn't dependent on our circumstances. It isn't conjured up from within, and it endures because it is anchored in hope. Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Just think about this, guys. Because our joy is anchored in hope, Scripture says that we can have Joy in times of trials and suffering. What is that? In the midst of our trials, we can have joy. James, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. First Peter, even more. In this you greatly rejoice that though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials... That doesn't sound fun. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Regardless of your circumstances, you can have joy. That's powerful. What are the lies that cause us to question the hope 
that anchors our joy. What's going to happen? Will I be okay? Am I safe? Will I ever get married? These anxious thoughts, what anxiety does is it takes your mind and it focuses your thoughts on the negative possibilities that are in front of you. Instead of looking at your circumstances and seeing the true, the good, the trustworthy, anxiety looks at the opposites. It tells you that there is no hope and that the circumstances in front of you are going to work out against you. One of the net effects of anxiety is that it robs you of your joy because it steals your hope. Trevin Wax is an author. He said this in an article. I think of worry like roundabouts, except you never get off onto the right exit. You just keep circling and circling, and your trials keep honking at you. Worry is like a roundabout that will keep you from running the race the way God intends. When you find yourself struggling to break the cycle of worry and anxiety in your life, what should you do? Fight for joy. Fight for joy. Music, scripture, brothers and sisters, fellowship, all of these tools, counseling, pastors, people who love you, fight for joy. Fight to remember the truths of God's promises to you. Ultimately, why is it that as Christians we can have joy? I think it's because God loves us. Think about this thought exercise for a second. Let's say there is no God, right? There is no God. Life is just physics and forces. And in life, you get dealt a bad deck of hands, a bad hand of cards, okay? There is no God. You get dealt a bad hand of cards. What are you going to do? I don't know, but you better figure it out. You're on your own. When that cancer hits, you better have the best doctor and all the money in the world because if you don't, this is the end. This is it. It's going to be hard to find joy in that. It's going to be hard to find joy. It's going to be hard to find hope. Or even worse, let's say this God of the Bible exists, powerful, strong, can do whatever he wants, but he hates you. That's even worse. This God who can control the universe is against me? <laughs> There's no hope there. If you go to the heavens, he's there. And if you go to the depths, he's there. And he's against you in every place and time. But if this God of the Bible exists and he loves you, when you're experiencing trials, you're for your good. And when you're downcast, he's gentle. And when you're lonely, he's nearby and he cares. 
when you know that God is with you and he's guiding every moment of your life, you can live your days with joy, knowing that he is in control and that he loves you. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, and peace. Peace. Again, love God and love your neighbor, right? What does it look like to have peace with God? Ephesians 2 says this very well. Remember that at that time, at one time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. As sinful, fallen people, we deserve condemnation. But by the blood of Christ, by God's sovereign choosing, we have peace with God. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're looking at me and you're like, will this guy just wrap it? What is he talking about? Why do I need peace? Come find me. Come find someone. Let's talk about what peace with God looks like. Love God and love others. What does it look like to have peace with others? Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. This does not say blessed are the peacekeepers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. What's the difference? Peacekeeping is really easy. You know how you do it? You ignore the problem. You see it coming, you walk the other way. Oh, she's crying? Never mind. I'll go this way. You know they're mad? Just don't call. Won't even come up. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Keeping the peace is not that hard. Making peace is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time and energy and resource. Because by definition, you're going to where there is not peace and you're bringing it there. Why is there not peace? There's a lot of reasons why there's not peace somewhere. Either way, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you effort to be a peacemaker. So do you have an issue with someone? Go and tell them. Don't let it fester. If it's on your mind, fight to bring peace where it's lacking. Live out the fruit of the Spirit. Don't go tell others. If you know that going to tell others is not going to bring about peace, 
then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. Go fight for peace. Go bring peace. What are some of the lies that we're inclined to believe that would keep us from seeking peace? Probably a lot of these other things that we just saw. It's hard. I'm not good at it. I'm going to get rejected if I go. It might be true. But ultimately, I think one of the bigger things that keeps us from pursuing peace is fear. Fear. Think about COVID for a second. We all lived it, right? Was there anxiety there? For sure. But there was more than just anxiety, right? Because people were ready to trample people over a roll of toilet paper. Right? What is that? That's not just anxious. That's fear. People were afraid. There was no peace because nobody knew if we were going to run out of toilet paper, which is apparently the worst thing that could happen. There was no peace. 1 Thessalonians. Oh, was that not in there? Never mind. First Thessalonians says this, chapter 5, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We have a calling to pursue peace, to be peacemakers. And by the power of the Spirit, we can do that. What are the Gospels that we are tempted to believe here in South County that draw us away from the truth. You know, maybe it's a soft version of a health and wealth gospel, right? If I just send my kids to the right schools and put them in the right programs, they'll grow up to be good people, right? And then it doesn't work out. Or your kids are crazy and they bounce off the walls. And then you think, God, what did I do wrong? Why did I, where did I go wrong? That's not what we've been called to. We haven't been called to raise perfect people. We've been called to be faithful, right? It's on my mind because I have little ones, and I talk to people that have big ones, and the anxiety is the same across the spectrum. What did I do wrong? Right? And Paul says it in chapter 4, you see him, he expresses a similar thing over these people, these Galatian people. Here's another one. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't know who made the phrase up, but it's here. Right? Don't reach out for help. Just suck it up. Don't, nobody else needs to know. This is our problem. We'll figure it out. Don't go tell the pastor. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's get over it. Here's one more. What's good for you is good for you. I don't need to go knock on my neighbor's door. As long as they don't bother me, we're good. Right? I lived in Cincinnati for 10 years, and uh, people would ask, what's L.A. like? And I'd say, this is the spirit of Southern California. What's good for you is good for you, and as long as you don't step on my toes, we're good. Right? This is not the gospel. This is not what God has called us to. 
He's called us to spur one another on. What are the things that pull you away from the truth? What are the things that make, you, that make you doubt the promises of God in your life? I have the worship team come up. As we close, I'll leave you with a few thoughts. If these people who learned directly from Paul were vulnerable to believing false teaching, and so are we. So am I, and so are you. The culture is not reinforcing the truth for you. Your flesh is not reinforcing the truth for you. Here is the truth, and the Spirit will make it alive for us. This is how we avoid falling away from the truth. At the end of the day, we don't know what drew them away. Paul doesn't tell us. We don't know. Was it peer pressure? Was it fear? What were they afraid? We don't know. This morning, whatever it is that Paul is, excuse me, whatever it is that is pulling you away from the truth in your life, Paul is saying, cling to Jesus, brother and sister. Cling to Jesus. Walk by the Spirit and let the fruit of the Spirit guide you to the truth. We'll end here. It's a little bit of a long verse, but we'll get through it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, through His glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, may we cling closely to the Spirit that He might lead us to eternal life with Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Mold us, shape us according to it. Father, thank you for sending your Son, and for giving us the Spirit to walk with us, to guide us, to convict us, to make us like Christ. We pray that that would be so this morning. In His name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.cccLH.org.